That's the excruciating sound of three cars smashing through an Auckland shopping centre in this week's latest Ram raid. This is dramatic security camera video showing cars racing through a shopping mall in Auckland followed by a group of hooded thieves on foot and later a third car. The hooded thieves get to work grabbing electronics and clothing before speeding off. The footage is graphic and revealing but not revealing enough to identify any of those involved. So what's the point of the cameras if they can't catch the culprits? And clearly they're not preventing the crime. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly and today on The Details, surveillance cameras are everywhere. There are hundreds of thousands of them. But today we're focusing on the publicly funded CCTV cameras. They're the ones ratepayers are funding by millions of dollars every year. And I'm heading to Fort Street, downtown Auckland, to talk to RNZ's Farah Hancock about her investigation. What you're going to do, Farah, is you're going to show me, this is a familiar street to you, and you're going to show me where the cameras are that you know of. So we're going to the corner of Fort Street and Queen Street, that's where we're starting. Yep, there's a really lovely area there, actually. They've got planter boxes and astroturf. It's quite nice to sit down there, have lunch. Sometimes there's buskers down here. But as we reach here, you'll see, just in this spot, there's three or four cameras. OK, the first camera I'm going to point out is above us. It's on a street pole. So that's either Auckland Transport or Auckland Council. I'm not sure who owns that. And that's looking down. It's one of those sort of dome cameras. OK, and it just what it looks like is, is just a big bulb, really. And probably a lot of people are, are familiar with that kind of camera, right? It's on a pole and yep. it's right next to one of the buildings. Absolutely. Now, just um, behind that, you'll see Walker and Hall, the jewellers. You can see a little camera above a doorway there that'll be owned by the company. We're looking up at that bulb-like camera and we're look, also looking at the Walker and Hall one. So people, people are looking at us while we're looking at that camera? We don't know. They may be being monitored or they may not. We may just be being filmed and it could be stored for a month and people might be able to go back to the footage if they want to see who was standing here at uh, 2.22 on a Wednesday afternoon. And turning around on the other side of the street we can see one on the corner of the coach store. There's probably another one there that I can't quite spot behind the tree. We walk down a little bit, there's a car park. Now there's quite a few cameras just on the car park entry to a, it looks like an office building. I see one on the right as you go into that. Facing out towards us and then on the other side of the entry there's at least one more camera. And if we look across the road to the bar we can see a couple of cameras just under the awning of the bar. Now those are mainly looking onto the tables that are outside on the pavement but they can probably see part of the street as well. So most of these cameras will be owned by the companies. The ones on the pole I'm assuming are Auckland Transport or Auckland Council owned. So, so far a camera on every, at least one camera on the outside of every shop as well as these cameras on the poles. One or two, yeah. Mm. Most shops. And then we come to a small intersection and there's not one but two CCTV cameras on a pole. And I don't know why they'd need two. Mm. One's higher than the other. I'm not sure uh, what that's for. You really know how to spot a camera now. I've walked this a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Outside the backpackers, which is for lease, there's another camera on the awning. 
And then there's another sort of car park building. There's two cameras in the corner. Across the road, outside, I think it's apartments, a hostel. Yeah. And camera. it goes on and, and on. So that's 100 metres. I'm not sure I've managed to spot them all today, but all up there are 21 cameras in this little stretch. Yeah. That, I mean, that is a heck of a lot. Is that why you chose Fort Street for your investigative piece? Um, and it's partly. Obviously, it's you walk down here, and I do walk down here quite often on my commute, and you notice that there's cameras everywhere, and you're sort of thinking... How many times am I being filmed? Just walking about around, doing, minding my own business. How many people are filming me? How many hard drives is footage of me sitting on? And with, what are they doing with that material? Exactly. How long are they keeping it for? Is it secure? You know, like on our street, I did a little exercise with a friend of mine where we knocked on everybody's doors. And sometimes we had to go back to someone's place because they weren't there. And I recall one where the guy said... Oh, yeah, I know who you are. I've seen you on the cameras. And uh, that's, and you just think, our little, why, why, do even, why do you even need a camera in, your, in our street? Actually, the, one of the things that set me off on this was um, along a street close to my home, there's this camera on a pole in someone's front yard, and I walked past it, and it seemed to turn. Is it the Mona Lisa painting where the eyes follow you? Is that, is that the, the one? Oh, wow. Anyway, this camera seemed to turn. I was like, hang on, is it moving? So I walked back, and it's turned with me, and I walked again, and so they've got this camera mounted on a pole in their front yard that actually motion tracks you as you walk down the street. You're on the footpath, not on their property. tracks you back and forth, and that got me thinking about how many places am I being filmed where I'm just minding my own business. And is, is that, that okay? even allowed? Um, for home cameras, you can complain, but the, the bar for a complaint is very high. I think it's got a be highly offensive to a reasonable person as the, the bar. I think you can go to the Human Rights Commission or something about it, but I don't think they would get pulled up on that, but it is quite offensive. And is that what got you thinking about doing this story? It is, it is. I was thinking how often are we filmed going about our daily business outside in a public space and could I map everywhere that there are cameras, publicly owned cameras, um, and that's what kicked it off, really. I decided to try and map every publicly owned camera outside in New Zealand that looks onto public outdoor spaces. And how did you go about doing that? It involved nearly 100 Official Information Act requests or applications? Yeah, it did. I emailed, it was close to 100 different organisations, so all the councils in New Zealand and a lot of the government organisations, OAAD, and most of them came back to me and gave me information. Some of them couldn't. Um, some of them can't split what cameras are inside or outside. Or places like the Department of Conservation, they have cameras sort of owned by little subunits or something, and they couldn't break it down for me. But most came back to me, and I got, I think it was about 10,000 cameras. I've mapped over 5,000. And... Um what? There's a lot of noise on the street because it is a very busy street. Um, and we're talking, you're talking about 10,000 CCTV cameras, is that right? Yeah, owned by public organisations. So we're not adding in the ones owned by banks or by all these little businesses or the ones owned by people at home. So we've got hundreds of thousands of cameras in New Zealand probably. In fact, I saw an investigation that there were around 400,000 and yep. climbing. But we're going to concentrate specifically on those 10,000 cameras that are owned by public agencies. 
Where do we go from here? Um, <laughs> well, where did you go from there? Well, first of all, I sort of I got all the results back and I asked a few questions. I was interested in, you know, were, was facial recognition being used? What kind of technology they were using as well? So, and whether audio was being recorded and it came back that nobody's really using facial recognition technology. A couple of councils said they were, but they're a bit mistaken. They just meant they could zoom in close enough to see a face. Not well, what even is facial recognition technology? So if you have an image of a person in the database, um, you can then match it to someone in footage. So not many councils aren't using that, and no councils said that they are recording audio. There's quite a few councils using automatic number plate recognition cameras with that and that could be for toll roads or way bridges or dumping or things like that. But what is the main purpose of these public agencies using cameras? That was uh, the other question I asked. Why did you? Why? Why have you got these cameras? And the most cited reason was security. There are a number of reasons. I mean some of it was checking for flooding or water conditions but security was by far the most commonly cited reason and that got me really interesting, uh, interested uh, how do these cameras make you safe I mean they might make you feel safe but how exactly are they making you safe and when I talked to a criminologist he explained that there's no evidence that they reduce crime anywhere except for in car, park, car parks so these cameras, just here in Fort Lane, if something happened, if, if a crime was committed, if someone got beaten up, say, would one of these cameras surely be able to pick up and identify that person? Um, that's after the fact, though. That's not preventing crime, it's solving crime, and that's that's the big difference. So it's not stopping people from committing crimes? No, and this is what this criminologist said, especially in places like um, inner cities where a lot of alcohol's being drunk. You'd think putting a camera up might deter people from committing crime because they'll think a reasonable person would go, oh, I might get caught, they'll see my face, I'll get caught, I shouldn't do this crime. But when people are drunk, they're not acting rationally, and that's the thing, so the cameras don't stop them getting into fights or just behaving badly. Victoria University's Trevor Bradley says CCTV cameras don't always deter crime, especially if people have been drinking. People are not rational when they've consumed large quantities of alcohol or when emotions are running high. They are completely oblivious to CCTV in those situations and of course that's where lots of violence occurs. And it seems to me like, you know, from what we've seen recently with these very high profile ram raid uh, incidents, especially the the most recent one. The smash and grab thieves becoming bolder and more brazen. Three stolen cars involved in a coordinated ram raid on a shopping centre with others taking part on foot. They would have known that the cameras were there and they may not have been drunk, but they carried on anyway. I mean, brazenly carried on and the footage is graphic of what happened in there Could you recognise people from it though? That's the thing Yeah. So that's the other thing and especially I know you probably would have heard about uh, England having lots and lots of cameras that they installed years ago but they found a lot of those aren't actually good enough to identify people with so the focus for cameras these days is getting cameras where the quality is good enough to be able to identify people properly otherwise your footage is kind of useless well, so then these cameras that are owned by, say, the council, 
Are they any good or not? I don't know. So you'd hope they would be good. I think they're relatively new, so you would hope that these are quite good for identifying people, but I don't know. I didn't go into that information, and a lot of the time they hand stuff over to the police. They don't deal with it themselves, so it then becomes a police request to try and find out the And answers. that's the other thing that I find interesting, is that these cameras are owned by the council and other public agencies. They're not owned by the police, but surely if a crime has been committed that information needs to go to the police. Why don't the police own these cameras? They're quite expensive. So I looked at how much Auckland um, Council and Transport has spent in the past five years installing them. They've spent over more than $16 million in five years putting them in. Imagine the police spending that much, but all across New Zealand. You can understand why the police have only got 45 cameras surveil outdoor public spaces mm. but would much rather piggyback on council systems So the ratepayers are paying for it rather than the taxpayers? <laughs> ratepayers are paying for it, absolutely <laughs> Although to, to be fair, Auckland Transport does generate fines so yeah. I guess they get some back And that's another interesting thing because there was a story that I saw about a Red light cameras, you know the ones that are perched above intersections to catch people running red lights They're a good idea, but what happens when one red light camera makes more money than all the other red light cameras? The intersection of Esmond Road and Fred Thomas Drive on Auckland's North Shore has a safety feature that's also a gold mine. In the last year, this camera rang up $642,000 in fines. So it can be a money-making thing. It, it can be. There's, um, what fell out of the story was a bus lane in Kyber Pass in Newmarket, Auckland, and that made $4.3 million worth in fines last year, 2021, from cameras. Well, I'm one of those people who got caught out by that blooming camera and had to pay my fine. I, I know a lot of people who've got in touch with me since that story ran and told me they've been caught out there as well. So that's a, a huge amount from cameras. If you're going, Auckland Transport spent $10 million installing cameras in five years, but one little bit of lane made them $4.3 million. You're kind of going, well... It's not that bad of spending, really. Apart from the, the academic that you talked to, what, did he assemble a lot of this data to come to the conclusion that they're only really good for, in car parks? There's no New Zealand research at all. So it's never been researched in New Zealand. Now, the, um, there is overseas research, and the Ministry of Justice put together what's called an evidence brief um, for whether CCTV is any good for crime reduction. That was in 2017. And it found that there's inconclusive evidence for anywhere other than car parks, and it shows promise in car parks. And that evidence brief was endorsed by the police and the Ministry of Justice as well. So the police know that it's not proven to reduce crime outside of car parks. And so, but, so if there's no proof that they reduce crime... Why are they continuing to be used and why it seems like there's an increasing number of surveillance cameras around the place? That's a, a really good question and I went to um, a security expert and sort of said why. Lincoln Potter doesn't think cameras prevent crime. He uses his local superette, which has 17 CCTV cameras and a smoke cloak as an example. With all the CCTV and his smoke cloak, it's not going to prevent an offender coming and jumping the counter and stealing his cigarettes. So you'd have to ask yourself, well, is CCTV preventing crime? 
And the answer to that is no. He agrees about the crime prevention, that they're good for solving crime. But is it enhancing post-evidential requirements? And the answer to that is yes, because you're getting better footage that you can hand on to the police. But what he says is councils are, if there's increasing crime, councils are in a very awkward position. They've got to be seen to be doing something, and increasing surveillance is one thing that they can be seen to be doing. And perhaps it's just a perception of reassurance. The police, when I asked them about this, they said it, it's a reassurance factor as well. Right. But it's a lot of money, millions of dollars, to spend on, I guess, making people feel, feel safer. You'd think there'd be some sort of evaluation to go, is this working? And I did ask every single council, I sent out a second bunch of 100 OAAs, to ask whether they review whether cameras are achieving their objectives, remembering that most of them, they said an objective is security. And most of the councils aren't looking into this. They aren't going, are they making the streets safer? And then when I looked at crime data on victimisations, a lot of it's going up, even though they're spending lots on cameras. So... It's kind of hard to see how they can be making things safer, but they could be solving crime. And there have been, when it comes to cases going to court, there have been some very high-profile cases where the CCTV footage has been, I suppose, instrumental. Absolutely. I think Grace Mullane is the, the one we can all think of where we've seen lots of CCTV footage. This is the CCTV footage that contradicted his account, the prosecution said today. I've got to um, point out the, the cuts of those footage, which I don't think are the entire thing. Not a lot of it's council cameras, most of it's private cameras. Oh, is that right? Yeah, a lot of it was City Life or, um, I forget, the, the Sky City... The Crown took the jury through about an hour of CCTV footage gathered from around central Auckland, showing Ms Mullane and the accused on a Tinder date, bar hopping, drinking and eventually kissing. But yeah, it is can be useful in solving crime. There was, I did put this to the um, academic, you know, isn't solving crime and putting someone in jail preventing crime in the future? So could you say solving a crime is preventing future crimes? And his point was that we've got a high sort of recidivism rate for people who've been in jail. So he said, look, it's the cliche. It's a, jails are a crime university. And just because you put someone in jail doesn't mean that you're reducing crime. Further down the track, you will for a while while they're locked up, but yeah. eventually they'll come out and they're more likely to commit more crime. Privacy. Having done this investigation... How, how did you come out feeling about whether our privacy is being invaded? I feel like there's probably some good principles in place in the Privacy Act, but I don't think everybody's following them as well as they can and well as they should be. The fact that the councils aren't checking whether objectives of having the cameras are being met makes me worry. And there are also a few councils that didn't have privacy policies or policies about the safety of the data in place, which was a real concern. Now you kind of go, oh, a little council, you know, they might not have much money, but all this stuff should be in place. So what are the rules? What are the rules about cameras and privacy? Um, so you've got to have signs up in place so people should know that they're being filmed. It should, I'm pretty sure it should state why you're filming. It should state what's it should be made clear what's happening to that footage and why it's being gathered and there's got to be a good reason for gathering it 
So those are the sort of basic privacy principles that everyone needs to abide by. Right, so if you look around here, as far as I can see, there are no, there's no sign on that pole. There, there, the... There's quite a few signs throughout the city. They're oh, there are. every single camera, but they, there are signs dotted around the city saying that there's cameras in action. So they, most of the places do seem to follow the signage rule. It's the um, reviewing whether the cameras are actually achieving their purpose was the, the poorest. And then for some councils, not having proper policies in place. By the end of this work that you did on it, what surprised you most about it? I think it was how little we question what we're spending on them and whether they're working. We just assume that cameras mean safety, but they don't necessarily mean safety. And it's an awful lot of money that's getting spent on them and a lot of time installing them but we don't really know if they're helping us or not. Do you think a lot of people would say, well, you know, if they solve a crime, if they have that position, I feel safer with them around, so I'm fine about it. I don't mind, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I don't really care if there's, there are cameras everywhere. Yeah, I think that's, that's a fair point, and I do understand that. But there's another concern, which is the way technology is moving now. So we've talked about facial recognition a little bit. There's other things like emotion sensing, where apparently they can figure out whether you're about to commit a crime from your facial expression. Now, the security expert I talked to, Lincoln Potter, he said, he points out, it was someone he knows actually, he describes as having an angry resting face. And he said, what if these cameras think someone with just a naturally angry face is about to commit a violent crime? I mean, his worry is there's people pushing technology, but there's not proof that the technology will perform its purpose properly and without making mistakes. And we all know with facial recognition, a lot of those systems work okay for people with light-coloured skin because they were trained on that, but they work very poorly for people with dark-coloured skin, so you can get false false hits for, say, Maori or Pacifica people, which is a real concern. Mm. So it's the biggest concern is where it could go and whether we're keeping an eye on technology and making sure we've got the right rules in place before we introduce it. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Rangi Poek and produced by Sarah Robson and our new associate producer, Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Farah Hancock. Mā te wā.